Well, what I'm going to do today is a little bit different. It's under context of playing to win, but these are some reflections that I've um, accumulated over the last seven years. It's a little bit Baptist, if you like, because we're going to be talking about Baptist things, uh, but some of the things that I think are, are helpful for all of us to be able to learn from some of my experiences. This isn't the, um, the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. We're not talking about you know, Craig adding to the canon of scripture here. It's just simply a reflection. And uh, for those of you who um, normally see me engaging with scripture in a, in a more uh, in-depth way, this is a little bit different today. So I apologize for that, but um, this is a one-off. I won't do it for another 24 years, all right? So here we go. Um, firstly, I just wanna give a shout out to Michaela and my family because uh, in many respects over the last seven years, if it wasn't for her releasing me, uh, particularly during the week, this whole deal wouldn't have happened. And for that reason, Michaela's been a real blessing. I think she's gone off to grab a coffee, but um, she's been amazing. So the kids uh, putting up with dads, particularly the times when dad's home but not home. Some of you wives will know what that's like. So you're eating dinner and you've got the thousand yard stare and you're just, you're thinking about something and the conversation's going on around you. Um, or am I the only one who does that? <laughs> eh? No? Okay. So, um, this whole leadership thing for me has been a journey of uh, discovery, and it always will be for anybody who's engaged in any form of leadership, regardless of whether it's in the church or in uh, your work environment or in sports or social endeavors or family. Uh, and it's really about learning who you are as much as anything else. And it was about the third year that I was here, and we had a meal together as the church. We we're still meeting in the hall. We were talking about how can we get out of the hall and build this building and uh, had the national leader of the churches at the time, Ian Brown, come and spend an evening with us. And it was a really positive time. Afterwards, Ian said to me, Craig, would you like to join the Baptist Assembly Council? We'll co-opt you on as a young leader so that you can get a bit of a feel for what goes on at this level. And uh, not knowing any different, I went, yeah, for sure. Okay, Ian, if you think, I'll do that. And so I went up there and that began what has essentially been a 20-year run for me on the Baptist governance team. And in that environment, I've met some absolutely outstanding women and men, people who really encapsulate that, uh, that uh, integration that's needed to be able to hear from the Lord and understand what it means to, to move a movement forward in a way that helps us be able to fulfill the will of God in our own churches. Because we are a movement of churches, and this is the unique thing about Baptists. We're not a movement of priests or ministers or pastors, we're a movement of congregations. And so from that perspective, I started to develop a little bit more of an understanding of what leadership was all about. Pastor Jim Hearn, who has been part of the life of this church for 10 years, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he leaves a significant influence in many, many people's lives, and I'm one of them. Uh, one year, probably uh, about 18, 19 years ago, I traveled down to New Plymouth with Jim to go to a Baptist hui down there. And uh, we we're just casually chatting and talking and spinning yarns. And Jim says, when you get to this conference, where are you going to sit, Craig? And I said, oh, I'll sit at the back with me old mates. And when it gets boring, we'll slip out for a coffee. And uh, which is what you do when you first come into Baptist life, because you, you know everything. And so therefore, you don't need to listen to anything. You just go and have your coffee and disappear because, you know, well, hey, when you're 30 years old, you know it all anyway. Uh, so anyway, Jim challenged me and he said, look, you know where you need to be? You need to be in the second row. Everything's happening in the first row. You need to be sitting in the second row. You need to get to 
feel for what it is that people are doing to run a big conference like this. You need to be able to hear how they and see how they respond to the Spirit moving in a different setting and ways in which they didn't expect. And so Jim said, I'm going to be in the second row, you be there too. So I waved goodbye to my mates and I jumped into the second row. And Jim was right. You do get to experience in that conference setting things very, very differently. And so I was very grateful for Jim's advice and I developed some really cool friendships. And what happened from there is that I met people who had been doing the distance or doing the hard yards for 20 or 30 years. And I saw that they were people I really enjoyed the company of. I knew that their church life was healthy. And so I'd ring them up and I'd say, hey, can I buy you a coffee or buy you lunch? Will you give me a couple of hours of your time? Well, they say, hey, look, if you want to do that, come through, stay the night, I'll give you a whole day. Like, oh, cool. And so I did this regularly and felt it was my responsibility for the sake of the church to be the best that I could be, to learn what I could learn from people who have traveled the distance and stop me from making mistakes that maybe they've made. So that was all part of it. Um, another person who was very influential in my life uh, 12, 14 years ago was Brian Winslade. He was the national leader of the Baptist churches at the time. And Brian got hold of me and he said, look, there's these things that go on around the world called Baptist World Alliance conferences. And uh, he said, I'd like you to come with me to Mexico City uh, in the middle of the year, and I'd like you to meet the people that I hang out with as a national leader. I said, sure, Brian, real privilege. So I turned up with Brian. And honestly, these are the most well-constructed meetings to put people to sleep that have ever been invented. <laughs> they are unbelievably boring, and uh, they couldn't be any more boring if they tried. You know, it's the sort of thing where they send you out a paper that they're going to discuss. It might be, you know, 10 pages, and then the person who's written it stands up and reads it to you. And you're like, oh, I'll just read it, you know? And then no Q&A, they just walk off and give them a clap, and that's the end of it. But the good thing happens, the good things happen in between times. That's what you go for. You go for, so you can, over coffee and over meals and times of fellowship, you can talk to each other, build relationships and get to know folks. And so I really took advantage of that. But one of the things that happened at that time, which was a surprise to me, just one of those timing things, was that they initiated what they called an emerging leaders network, a global emerging leaders network. Um, some guy had gifted about a quarter of a million dollars to run a scholarship program to allow people, emerging leaders from around the world, to get together on a yearly basis at these boring events and uh, try to make them a little bit more inspiring, I suppose. And so we met together, we all sat in the second row, we met together and we'd have uh, international leaders speaking to us, mentoring us and helping us learn what it means to be uh, a leader at a global level. And I'd say nearly every one of that group have gone on to lead something significant, be it Bible colleges or aid organisations or the denominations that they're part of. And just this last year, one of our group, Elijah Wood, became the, the general secretary, it's a lifetime position, of the Baptist World Alliance as a whole. He's the closest thing we've got to a pope, but we don't have popes. Uh, but Elijah's only 37, but he's an outstanding young guy. And, uh, and, and I'm privileged enough to call him my friend. So it's all about networking. And so I learned that from Brian, and I learned that from this association. So for us as a, uh, for me, sorry, for me as a, a leader, all of these doors opened up for me. And all I can say is that's by the grace of God that really these opportunities have allowed me to, to grow. And also the grace that's been afforded to me through, through the church here. 
because uh, 24 years ago when Makata and I started here, we were meeting in a hall at the, uh, across the uh, road from the shopping centre. And so we've learned a lot about how to keep on learning and to adjust our roles as leaders as churches got larger and how we can delegate and help people in this whole area of staff and volunteers and keeping the mission uh, as, as focused as we can. And that means also that um, our staff have had to be really, really flexible because of my absence, uh, and all of you have as well. So it's been a, a real team effort to get, to get me across the line. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about a few things. Um, I've used this, oops, where are we? I've used this symbol here. Uh, it's a picture that I took when I was on the Camino in Spain uh, last year, and uh, it's just sort of a, uh, it sits on the top of a hill where it's super, super windy. They've got all these big um, uh, power-generating wind turbines there. And uh, San, the, the, uh, the Camino de Santiago de Compostela is the name of the trip, and it means the Camino of St. James where the wind meets the stars. So it's an interesting little dynamic, but they've got this on the windiest hill on the whole Camino. So it's just a picture of pilgrims. Uh, let me start with an unusual story. About six weeks into my role as the Baptist leader, I get this phone call from Kim Hill from Radio New Zealand. And uh, it was a surprise. I didn't know what she wanted to talk about. But uh, apparently, um, a, quite, a, quite a big piece of news had hit the media that day. And the story goes like this. Uh, many of us will remember back, uh, back a few years ago a tragedy where two twins were killed, the Kahui twins. Yeah? And the court case was held, and they could not determine who murdered them, right? And so um, nothing was ever done at a legal level, but what happened is the coroner picked it up, and the coroner's report came back and said the only person who could have killed the boys was the father, Chris. So I hear this, and then the, 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 uh, Kim Hill says to me, Craig, did you know that... Uh, Chris Kahui has married the past, pastor's daughter of a Baptist church. I said, no, I didn't. And she said, yes, and I've got a child and another one on the way. And I said, yeah, so what are you inferring here? And she said, well, you as the Baptist national leader, the spiritual and moral head of the Baptist church, you have an obligation to go and visit him and take him down to the police station and get him to confess his crimes. And I was like... <laughs> I was reading the Baptist leadership manual. I was trying to... <laughs> and driving at the same time. Um, yeah, it was one of those rather difficult conversations, which as soon as you get off the phone, you go, well, that's a mess. That's just a bomb that's gone off. So I thought, well, this is going to be interesting because I'm going to get lots of advice from here on in about what I should have said or didn't say. And um, anyway, by the end of the day, no emails, no texts. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. End of the week, no emails, no texts, no advice at all. Two weeks later, no advice and no texts. And then I get, uh, I get a phone call from um, Monica Carey's husband, Peter. Uh, I go hunting with Peter. Monica speaks here quite regularly. Um, and he said, hey, um, you know Bruce in Fiordland? I said, yeah, I know Bruce. We meet Bruce every year. We go down there and we go hunting down there. But Bruce is a hermit. And he lives under a rock. 
There's Bruce. Okay, he, we, we took him out with us when we last left because he needed his annual haircut. Uh, we, we had room in the luggage compartment of the helicopter, so we gave him a free ride out. Um, it's usually where I sit, don't laugh. Okay, so we, um, Peter said to me, I got a strange text from Bruce, because Bruce uses a sat phone to contact people, and he, Bruce said that he heard you on, on radio the other day, and he thought you did a good job. And here I'm thinking, absolutely no noise about this really controversial conversation that I had, except from Bruce the Hermit, who lives under a rock in Fiordland. <laughs> I was like, well, if that's not God protecting me, what is, you know? So it was quite, a, quite an unusual scenario, but it didn't always go that way. Uh, because being Baptists, we've always got an opinion. Two Baptists in a room usually means there's at least three or four opinions. And... Um, and so for, for me, learning how that operates is quite, was quite a challenge. Look, I knew we were a movement of churches, not a movement of priests, and therefore I'm not a pope, but um, I would have these regular encounters with other pastors. In one scenario, I was quoted in the newspaper over something, and uh, somebody rings me up and they say, hey, Craig, you can't speak on behalf of Baptist churches unless we've had a vote on this. And I said, no, I know I can't speak, but every time we do try to get a vote on it, the bus has already left, you know, the conversation's moved on. So I made a comment, I said, I think it's pretty much where the Baptists are thinking. And he goes, well, I don't think that way. And who made you Pope? And I said, well, look, I'm not trying to be a Pope. No, no, you can't speak on our behalf on any occasion. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, thanks for your advice. And uh, that's all very well, that's sort of how life went. Okay, as a Baptist leader, most conversations started like this. Hi, Craig, how you doing? I don't agree with everything you're saying, but you're doing a good job. And that's sort of the Baptist egalitarian Kiwi way of giving somebody um, a slap and a pat on the shoulder at the same time. We just make sure they don't get too big for their boots. However, 18 months later, I get a phone call from this same guy who told me off, and he goes, hey, Craig, you know they're wanting to raise the level of, uh, we're needing to raise the level of refugees that are allowed into this country. It's only 750, and we should do better than that. How come you haven't made a comment in the media about our need to raise this? And I said, because somebody told me a while ago that I'm not the Baptist Pope. <laughs> and he goes, but surely you could agree with me on this one and make the comments. And I'm like, you just can't win. You know, you just can't win. And, and that's sort of a little bit like how things go within the public setting of being a Baptist. Okay, if I was the Pope, you'd say the right thing and you'd say, God told me to tell you and it'll be all over. Hey, no argument, all right? Uh, so we, we live in this, this tension. One of the things about church life, not only just in a local congregation, but within a denomination as well, is that we need to be able to, to um, communicate. And to communicate means we've got to hear from each other. And so I went on this trip I call the listening tour. And the idea was to be able to hear from as many churches as possible what it is that they're feeling about what God's saying to them and what it is saying to us as a movement. And what I found is that the further away you got from Auckland, the happier they were. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> the less connected they felt to the National Resource Centre. Okay, now this is a, one of those perception issues because there's a church, you know, a Baptist church only a mile away from the Baptist Resource Centre and we don't see them for lunch every day. You know, your distance doesn't really necessitate 
or determine your uh, connection point. So anyway, there's all this old Baptist machinery lying around the country that hadn't been used for a while called regional associations. We've got one here that's helped us uh, initiate our church plant, Golden Sands. But these have been redundant for quite some time. They were barely alive. And so over 12 months, we reinvigorated all of this communication capacity, and we put regional leaders in place with the idea of helping mission. And so it haul these folks together every eight weeks. We'd talk about what's going on around the region. They'd meet with the pastors, see how things are going, feedback, good information flows, and made a huge difference. And so for us as Baptists, we had to learn to, re- to communicate and reconnect again. And this is what any organisation needs, doesn't it? Otherwise, you're just splintered everywhere. So that took quite a lot of time, took quite a lot of energy. The other thing that uh, we were working on closely with the Baptist College with was uh, professional development. Um, My year group from college was the last year group to be accredited as Baptist pastors for a lifetime deal, okay? So if I left the Baptist Union, technically I could be uh, Reverend Truck Driver, you know? if I went and drove a truck. And so this was, there were two things happening there. This was being abused a little bit. As well as that, there was a lack of professional development happening. So we started a registration process for pastors, but we needed to provide them an environment to help them upskill professional development. And so thankfully the college came on board and we developed a program called Lifelong Learning, which we're really grateful to say, I, don't, I probably shouldn't put it this way, but it's the envy of other denominations because we've got people there helping others in their professional development to learn and grow, and so they can be better leaders, better pastors. Make sense? So that was a fantastic outcome. Um, one of the other things that we've been working on is, is uh, the financial well-being of the movement. Um, and this came, to, came through in the global financial crisis. We had, um, like a lot of other denominations, a finance arm to our movement. For us, it was called Baptist Savings. But to put that through a, a, a set of changes that would allow it to meet the requirements post-global financial crisis, to meet the structure's requirements for uh, offsetting fraud or um, funding terrorism, uh, all those sorts of things, all these financial institutions had to go through an enormous change. And Baptist Savings was the only one to survive. So it's the only Christian financial institution uh, that exists today uh, outside of um, the, yeah, essentially it is. We get a little bit technical on that. But what it means now is that all of the churches in New Zealand either have to go to a, a bank and pay commercial rates for their mortgages or come to Christian Savings. Now, the positive thing about that is we've been able to Uh, get involved with the body of Christ in ways we never have before and support one another. Uh, The other side of it is that we've been able to get a return from that investment and fund into mission. And so we've taken that money that we're earning through the bank and we've been pouring that into migrant and ethnic churches, which is a new edge to being Baptist. And so we've been able to put people in the field who support all these migrant churches that are forming and ethnic groups that are starting out and really support them, endorse them, say not only welcome to New Zealand, but welcome to the Christian community, welcome to the Baptist family. And so these things have been really, really positive for us. And so you can just see these tracks as how God 
provides financially in times when we need to fund a change. And so that's, that's been one of the big things that uh, we've been working on. The other thing about the Baptists is they're very diverse, 240 churches, and uh, we have this real breadth from uh, liberal to really strong, almost fundamentalist groups, and uh, fundamentalists, but they're not much fun, to be honest, they're a bit hard to work with. And, and so we've got this tension that exists, and as a, as, a, as a national leader, it was my role to try to embrace all of these folks and move them forward and keep them talking and keep them engaged. One of the challenges that you have when you have a very liberal theology is that you end moving into the social arena only. Social justice issues, they're very important. But if your church is defined by only the, the, the challenges that it takes on in that space, what happens is you forget the fact that you're there as a transformational community bringing people to Christ and allowing God to meet people through the word and the worship and bring change into their lives. So the challenge that I was having conversations about with pastors is that, look, if you end up down this track, in 40 years' time, they might give you a Queen's Service Medal for all your good behaviour, but you'll close the door of your church because there'll be no one left. You've done a great work. You've allowed them to taste that and feel that the kingdom of God is present in some way, but unless people hear the message of Christ and a call to repentance and change, then the cross of Christ becomes an irrelevant story. On the other side of the coin, um, there can be leaders and pastors who basically think more highly of themselves than they ought to. You know, the reason why your prayers are powerful and effective is not because of, the, of you praying, it's because of the one listening. You know? And sometimes it's easy to get that around the wrong way. Okay? And, uh, and one of the challenges that we had was um, setting things straight in churches that were literally, almost literally blown to pieces by leaders who thought of themselves more highly than they ought to. Uh, we worked in one area alone, top of the South Island, seven Baptist churches up there, three of them literally blew to bits and we had to work tirelessly to get them back on the right track and get right leadership in. And people get hurt. That's the thing that breaks my heart. People get devastated. These churches went from 450 to, to 150, from 150 to 40. All these people are hurt and disaffected. And that, that's a real heartbreaker for any, any person who cares about the life of the church. Um, one of the other things that was happening in the life of our churches was it was a little bit fractured in ways that I, I was always concerned about. Um, the, the strong Pentecostal group within our Baptist churches, and I, I just love the passion they bring, I, you know, affirm all the gifts and, and that which God will pour out on us. But there was a group that were meeting at Hanmer Springs. They'd sort of turned up together and they had a really good time in the Lord. And uh, more and more people started to go. And I went along, it was a really great experience, three days of prayer and fasting and just praying for one another and worshipping and believing God's highest, great time. But they didn't want anybody to know they were there, uh, yet there was a whole lot of Baptist leaders there. And so I said, look, the only thing you, that can help is to make this public, allow any Baptist who wants to come along to come along. And uh, they're a bit nervous about that. Um, but they did. And then ultimately it's become part of the fabric of our, our movement. And a lot of those really capable leaders have been grafted into our governance teams and, and really now we can reflect who we are as a movement. 
Um, it was a bit of a fun time I had with them last time I was with them, and I told them that uh, the, the event, the Camner Conference, now appears on the Baptist Annual Planner. It's written in, the dates, and the anointing of God has not disappeared ever since it appeared on a piece of Baptist paper. So uh, they celebrated that, that with us as well. And probably the last, but probably the most impression, biggest impression for me about our churches in the last five years anyway has been the bicultural journey. Um, it's been a, a, wonderful, a wonderful experience for me. Um, in 2014, Baptists went to Waitangi to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the gospel coming to New Zealand because the first sermon that was ever preached in New Zealand by Samuel Marsden happened at Ohihi Bay, uh, about 40 minutes' drive from Waitangi. And so we went up there and we had this wonderful celebration, amazing time together. And uh, at the end of that event, I said, look, I think just as a token of uh, remembrance for us as a movement, why don't we call our, our gatherings, our conferences, why don't we call them a hui? And, I, and that, that was just enough momentum to set us on a track that has allowed us to explore what it means to be bicultural in our conferences. So when we now go to a different city to hold our conferences, we get welcomed by the tangata whenua. Uh, when we've gone to different places, we've gone to, and we've heard their stories of what happened there. We've been to New Plymouth and we went to Parihaka, hear that story there, powerful story about uh, Māori uh, standing up against the crown with passive resistance. Went to Dunedin, and there we explored the, the caves and the roads that were built by the people who were enslaved out of Parihaka and sent to Dunedin. Uh, just this last two weeks, where we've been at Palmerston North, um, the Ratana church is only just down the road, and last Thursday, a week ago, they celebrated the 100th anniversary of uh, Wurimu Ratama, uh, getting the anointing of God and the revelation from God that set him up from being a farmer. He used to like to go to the pub, putting a few bets on the horses at the TAB, and uh, occasionally, every six weeks, going to the Methodist church, to being this unbelievably anointed leader who just affected so much Christian and social transformation and in in, in through the movement of the Ratna Church. And so over the years, um, I've just crept along to these sorts of events. And these are the events where I turn up with my dog collar on. Okay, so I've got this dog collar. It's within the Baptist traditions. It goes back away, but we're used to wearing dog collars. But dog collars are really helpful. Uh, well, it was until I heard a couple of local guys at Ratna a couple of years ago uh, just chatting to themselves, they go, hey, Ro, must be a pretty big day today. Oh, why is that, mate? She says, can't you see all the penguins hanging around? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's me. Yeah, I'm a penguin. But um, yeah, last week we'd, we went down to, to a couple of days of Ratana, and uh, on the second day we got welcomed onto the Marae, um, a few of us uh, Baptist leaders, and the end of that porphyry, we were given a cup of tea, and then quickly we were ushered out to the front of the pai pai where their elders are to welcome on the Prime Minister and the MPs. So uh, we were honoured by being given those seats. And it's just building an ongoing relationship. And for me, um, just a real real heavy burden that the body of Christ in New Zealand needs to be reconciled. And Ratan has been sitting out here 
sort of doing their own thing out of hurt, uh, misunderstanding, cultural differences, but just to embrace and to, to feel the love and hear their story and to just say, look, guys, we're on the same team um, is a really, really important thing, and I just feel grateful to have been able to initiate some of that, and I, I trust I can keep being used in that. So that's sort of where I've been over the last little while, apart from all the thousand of other things that you do in between, uh, some absolutely outstanding conversations with and inspirations from other pastors. Um, one guy who's living in, in South Island I've got to tell you about, I'd love to get him up here sometime, Geordie. Um, he's an absolute scruff, okay? Um, he looks like I look after two, days in the, after two weeks in the bush. Um, but he's got dreads down his back. Uh, he's an ex-farmer, married to a, a Chinese woman. And uh, they live in Invercargill. And he just said to his wife, bring all the Chinese people that you know to our place every Sunday and we'll have a, have a meal together. So he's there with all these Chinese folks cooking food together and they have a wonderful time. And three years ago he said, I've got a church, he says. Meets every Sunday. We eat lots of good food, but we haven't got any Christians. <laughs> well, anyway, this year the regional association down there gifted him uh, an old Baptist church that had been hired out to the community called the old Georgetown Baptist Church. And uh, now they've got 50, 60, 70 people meeting in there uh, largely immigrants who are becoming Christians. And look, if you met Geordie, you'd think he was a, lived on the streets. <laughs> Honestly, <clears throat> you're curious now, aren't you? Um, and those are the sorts of things that I, I just love, love hearing. You know, just seeing the gospel being spread in ways that are totally contrary maybe to the norm, um, but just people being loved on in Jesus' name. Uh, and those are, those are the real positive things. You know, some sad things where I've had to have quite conversation with pastors and say, look, you need to pull the pin. You know, um, you've done, done your dash or you've, you've messed up your nest in such a way that you, you can't stay here anymore. Those are the tough conversations. Um, but it's been a real pleasure. So some scriptures that have kept me going. Um, this one here says... Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Um, that first verse, I actually preached on that a while ago, uh, probably about six weeks ago, um, but it's been quite a powerful revelation to me that the Apostle Paul had to suck it up at times for the sake of the body. You know, he would wear Christ's afflictions, his sufferings. And uh, being a Baptist, <laughs> by nature of being a Baptist church, uh, this is one of the things that I've learned, you know, to, um, to learn how to handle uh, pushback and those challenges. You know, it's been said of a Baptist denomination that it's like a, 
It's like a bus with seven steering wheels and uh, 12 gearboxes and everybody's having their own go, you know? And uh, that's on a good day. So it's been a, been a real, real challenge for us. But um, there are times you've just got to suck it up. And we've all got to do that at times. But for me, choosing the right battle, making sure that I was uh, you know, using time as my friend, not rushing into things, just making sure that I had wisdom around me. And the beautiful thing of that is there's a lot of wisdom around you. You just got to go looking for it. Okay? And of course, that final part of that verse, which is, uh, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Um, I, I have got to say, and I just want to give God the glory for this, within a month of taking on the national role, um, I knew God had cloaked me with a, a, a new sense of his presence, uh, an anointing, if you like, you want to use that language, to, to do what I was called to do. I, I could honestly testify to times when I'd go into a, a meeting with a journalist or a really difficult situation, I'd just say, God, I don't know what I'm going to say here. But then I'd say something and I'd think, gee, that was, that was pretty good. I should take notes. <laughs> and, and you'd find God, you know, using you in ways that you totally didn't expect. So that's why, you know, God gets the glory for this sort of stuff. But um, for now, I'm really, really pleased to be back. Um, not that I've already obtained all of this. Paul talks about this righteousness in Christ here. We've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And for me, the forgetting what is behind is really important. Like that season has passed. I trust that I can take some experience and wisdom out of that. I've got no doubt I will. Uh, a few scars there to remind me, um, but been a huge amount of positive things that I've learned and experienced, and I'm just trusting the Lord that uh, with us all, we can invest, we can dig deep, and you know, pick up the next season that God has for us as a church here, as we bring influence in the, in the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God into our community and, and beyond. And we do sit on the edge of a new season. Uh, many of you have been aware that we've been waiting for a visa for Kyle Fleshman, who comes out of California, coming through to be our exec pastor. Well, he, he got that visa 10 days ago. So he's going to arrive with his family on Friday. So that's pretty quick. But messed up, actually, in some ways, because um, he's been living with his wife, Kalisha's mum, and she, just a few weeks ago, broke her ankle. So that's been tough. Kyle's mum has, has a home in a place called Paradise. Does that ring any bells? So the best of understanding, and his understanding, the last we heard, is that she, she was without a home, but he hasn't been able to contact her for a couple of days, so he doesn't know where she, she's at. I'm assuming now they've had contact with her. So a bit tough for him to leave, and their son, Caden, who's 12, coming on 13, is also coming with them. So we're really looking forward to having uh, the Fleshmans with us. Uh, really want you to look after them, uh, bless them, fatten them up, do whatever you need to do to them. It's worked for me. And, um, and then in February, we've got Rob Stacy joining us. Rob's the senior pastor at Westgate Baptist Church in Auckland. Um, a great guy, just turned 40. Great wife, because she sent him to Bathurst for his birthday. Um, <laughs> his wife's Deborah, and they've got three children. Uh, so we're really looking forward to having Rob amongst us. Um, 
over the last 18 months in particular, uh, because we haven't had these two folks working in our executive, it's been pretty tough on, on Michaela. So it's been a little bit like a four-man boat from my perspective. Um, Michaela's in there rowing flat out with two oars. I'm there sitting in front of her with one arm tied behind my back. And we've got two empty seats. And, uh, and we're closing on the competition. You know, so Michaela's been working terrifically hard in that space. So I'm really grateful to be able to have the extra people come along and strengthen us and give us the ability to move forward in ways that we, we would like to think God will. And uh, for me, it's a, it's a time of reinvention. You know, the prayers that Linnea prayed and uh, the scriptures that she gave to me about being renewed, that's essentially the journey that I'm going on. I'm looking forward to, to serving the Lord by serving you and looking forward to what it is that God will do with us and through us in the years ahead. So uh, let's, let's be excited. Let's be in, in prayer. Let's be hopeful. And let's look forward to what God will do with us and for us. So thanks for listening today. Um, I appreciate all the, the nice comments. It's a little bit like being alive at your own funeral. Um, so I'm looking to, as I said, lay that, put that ball behind me and um, get on with the next season that we're in. Why don't we stand and I can pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for um, seasons in our life. We've all had them. And we look forward to just a freshness and a newness amongst us all, uh, particularly as we see you having released people to come and serve us with a real heart that this is right for them to be with us. Uh, we think of Kyle and his family. We think of Rob and his family. And, and we just want to pray for them as they begin this task of literally packing bags and moving to be with us, to serve us under your direction. And we look forward to this freshness that that new life can bring, and we look forward to a new season that you will do amongst us uh, as a church, as we, we seek to represent you, Lord, to bring the gospel, the good news, to our community. So, Father, thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing, and we just look forward to your grace upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.